This morning we're going to be talking about discipleship. You might ask the question, we've been talking about discipleship a lot. Like you said, a whole weekend about discipleship. Um, and we had it preached on last week. Why are we doing that again? Hey, Kirby, pull me down a little bit. I'm, I'm reverberating. <laughs> what a fun word. Why are we talking about this again? Well, imagine with me for a moment that Joe Burrow uh, goes to his coach. He says, Coach, you know, like, why are we going to watch so much football film? And, like, why do I got, why do I got to keep throwing the ball in practice? Like, can we go, like, play golf or something? Like, maybe mix it up a little bit? Like, I'm just, like, got a lot of football going on in my life. And you might be wondering that he did that, and that's why he looked so bad last week. And not today, he's going to take the cowgirls down, but <laughs> but if he came to his coach and said, coach, you know, like, why, why do we got to watch so much film, why do we got to do so much football, da, 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 da. Uh, you might imagine his coach saying, well, if you want to keep your job, if you want to be the best, if you want to grow, if you want to be a good quarterback and the best quarterback, if you want to win, you have to take your growth Seriously, you've got to watch film. You've got to practice your throwing mechanics. You've got to understand the defense you're going against. You have to constantly be devoting yourself to learning the art and game of football or someone else will come and take your job because you won't be good enough. Most of us in this room are not called to be professional football players. I can guarantee you that. Uh, take it to the bank. Probably none of us in this room are going to be professional football players, but every one of you who is a follower of Jesus, and I don't assume that's all of you, but every one of you that is a follower of Jesus is called and commanded to be a disciple. Discipleship is your calling. And so growing as a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong pursuit where we are always learning, always growing, always striving to become more like Jesus. However, it seems like so often in the church today, particularly the church in the West or in America, we have failed to see ourselves as disciples, and we grow stagnant in our walk with Jesus. We grow, that's an interesting word I was kind of thinking about this week, the word stagnant. When you have stagnant water, what happens? You have water where there's, you know, there's no water flowing into it, so it sits still. It's not moving. It grows green. Right, like it, it's nasty, it stinks, mosquitoes start laying their eggs in it, it's unusable, and when we fail to see ourselves as disciples who need to be growing actively toward Jesus, we, like stagnant water, become stinky, gross, and unusable. There is a reason that biblical illiteracy in the church is at an all-time low. Because we have grown bored, I think, with learning the Bible. We've grown bored, I think, with learning theology. And instead, we say, you know, you know, Pastor, we just really want some classes on some practical things. Like, we really just want, like, you know, how to be a better, be a better man, how to be a better husband, how to be better at our finances. Maybe sprinkle some Bible in there, but we're really tired of that. You know, there's a reason that 100 years ago, when, when someone planted a church... They didn't name it some cool, trendy name. You know what they named it? They named it Mount Carmel. They named it Gilead. They named it Bethany or Zion. 
because those were biblical places and stories that meant something to everyone. They drove by, saw Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and they knew that that, that uh, the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven on the, on the altar of Baal came to their mind. We drive by and see Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and we think it's just an old, old fuddy-duddy church. We don't want nothing to do with it. Not, it's not cool enough. But we don't, we don't know the history just because we don't know our Bibles. And so we all want to talk about these practical things. Like, you know, we want to answer the questions. Like, what do we do when we're hurting? How do we have better marriages? How do we handle our finances? How do we become better parents? How do we navigate social media well? And on and on. And those are good questions. And those are good things to think through and learn. But before we can answer any of those questions, we have to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Before we can answer all of those practical things and walk through them, we have to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we have to actually be one. We've somehow gotten into our minds that to be a Christian, we can be Christians without becoming followers or actually following and becoming like Jesus. My hope this morning is to help you walk away knowing what it means for you to be a disciple of Jesus and have the tools to know how to grow as one. So first thing we want to look at is what is a disciple? It's a weird word, a word we don't use a lot anymore. What is a disciple? A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple is someone who has submitted themselves under a teacher, under uh, a master who has studied a trade or a craft or a, a, a philosophy, and they've gone with that master, followed them around, uh, learned everything that they've done until they themselves have acquired that skill or that knowledge and have begun to do it themselves. Sometimes those of us who grew up in the church, uh, when we hear the word disciple, uh, we think of those 12 guys that followed Jesus around, and we think those were the disciples, and that was just kind of them. But that's not true. A disciple is anyone who is a student or apprentice of anything else. Everyone is a disciple of something. You, even if you're not a Christian, are a disciple of something. Some of you in this room were in the military, and the military discipled you, right? They trained you in some specific skill. They trained you to stand at attention. They trained you to make your bed every morning, to be neat and clean and, and all sorts of other things. If you did not know Randy Richards, one of our elders here, you would know he was a Marine by the way he takes such great care of his Sunday school class. Although chairs are in perfect order, the floor is always clean, everything is neat, and if something is out of t out, you know, mixed up, he fixes it. Because the Marines trained him to be orderly. They discipled him. This is true of all of us. Whether it is being in the military, whether it is the news, whether it is social media, television, our jobs, the books we read, or the people we hang out with, something, maybe multiple things, are always at all times discipling us. The book of Proverbs tells us, this great proverb, that he who walks with the wise becomes wise. The things you take in the people that you are around, the content you ingest affects you. You are not above it. 
You are not stronger than it. You never watch something as a neutral arbiter and it doesn't affect you. It doesn't change you. Jesus said it another way in Luke 6, 40. Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Whether your teacher is formally teaching you a trade or a skill or a way of life, or your teacher is social media, uh, something is training you, and you are becoming like that thing. You are becoming in its image. You are becoming a disciple or a student or an apprentice, becoming like that thing that is teaching you. So that's what it means to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of something. Now, what does it mean specifically to be a disciple of Jesus, right? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? In Jesus' day, it was common practice for a a, a rabbi or a teacher or a tradesman uh, to have apprentices who followed him called disciples, right? And so they would follow this rabbi around, this teacher around, and they would listen to everything that he said. They would listen to everything that he taught, everything that he did, and they would learn from him until they mastered it and could go off on their own and do it. And so when Jesus approached these 12 guys that we know as the disciples, it wasn't weird when Jesus walked up to them and said, follow me. It wasn't weird for them when this rabbi, this teacher said, follow me. They're like, oh, okay, he wants us to be his disciples, right, to to learn whatever it is he's teaching so that we can do it ourselves. It's a great opportunity. And so in Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they understood what he was basically calling them to. But these guys at this moment had no idea what really laid ahead of them, that everything about Jesus his life, his teaching, his compassion, his wisdom, his, his death, his resurrection, his authorities, that would radically change their lives and shape every aspect of them. They thought they were just signing up to learn uh, some philosophy from a, a teacher that they could then know and teach themselves. But really what they signed up for was a radical life change that would alter everything about them. In a few simple years, these simple men, these fishermen and tax collectors would go from fishing to standing before some of the most powerful men in the world, proclaiming this truth of the gospel. They would turn the world upside down. What begins for them as simple obedience to follow Jesus changed their lives and the world forever. Being a disciple of Jesus always leads to life change. Being a disciple of Jesus always, underline always, leads to life change. You cannot follow Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, and remain the same. Being a disciple of Jesus is not like being a a Bengals fan. It's not just something we celebrate and enjoy. It is a life-altering, radically transforming thing. We cannot come to Jesus and say, hey, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to give you like an hour of my time a week. You cannot come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you a day or two days a week. He won't take it. You must come to Jesus and say, you can have all of my life because he demands all of your life and will change everything and every nook and every cranny and every aspect of your life he wants and is going to change. 
watching the disciples follow Jesus for those three years, they get a lot of things wrong. Like, they're tripping over their own selves all the time. They ask a lot of questions of Jesus. They put their foot in their mouth a lot, and they say the wrong thing. They make a lot of mistakes. They give the wrong answers. But slowly, they begin to understand. Slowly, they begin to see the bigger picture. They begin to grow. They begin to learn. They be- Eventually, it all clicks. And they become teachers themselves, passing on all that Jesus taught them to others. And the same is true of us. As we seek to follow Jesus, as we read his word, as we understand his commands, and as we try to actually do them, what happens? We fail. We mess up. We get it wrong. We put our foot in our mouth. We, we wrestle, we question, we doubt, we learn, we grow, we struggle, we start to get it. When we are confronted with difficult truths, it's hard, but we wrestle through it until we understand following Jesus always is a journey that always leads to change. But it never comes easy. It never comes cleanly. Like discipleship does not on a number graph, like, like on a line graph, it doesn't look like this, right? Like it's not just like, oh, I came to Jesus and now it's just all up from here. No, like it looks like this, right? Like, like it's, life's messy, right? Like life's hard, following Jesus is hard. And, and it's not pretty and clean, it's, it's hard, it's messy, we have to wrestle through things. This year we planted like our really first garden at our house, and um, we had I had to make these raised beds, right? And we, we had one that was for flowers and one that was for vegetables, and we went out there and planted them. And for the first like couple weeks, man, we were out there every day like watering, like moving leaves out of the way, you know, just babying everything, like and, and looking and like nothing yet, right? We'd come out there every day watering, nothing yet. And eventually, like, the excitement went away, and we, like, didn't go out there anymore, right? Like, <laughs> I'm hoping they're getting watered somehow, like, the kids are going out there watering something. But, you know, you'd go out there and you'd see any green beans yet? No, nothing yet. Until one day, a couple weeks had gone by, and we hadn't gone out there. We hadn't been looking. And you go out there, and all of a sudden, it's like, where'd that thing come from? Where'd that pepper come from? Where'd that, where did that, what are those big green things called? No. What are we? Cucumbers. Clearly, I don't eat them. <laughs> it's like, where does big cucumber come from? It wasn't there like a week ago, right? When you are watching for growth, it's like trying to watch paint dry. It, it doesn't move. It doesn't happen. When you zoom out a little bit, it takes some, you don't look at how have I grown from yesterday or from last week, but how have I grown from a year ago, from six months ago? The growth should be clearly seen disciples of jesus grow they change they become like their teacher that's to say it positively right like disciples grow and become like jesus but let me also say it negatively if you are not growing and not becoming like jesus you're not his disciple disciples of jesus become like jesus and if you're not becoming like jesus you're not his disciple because every, t- every uh, student, when he is trained, becomes like his master. And I'm not saying that you're more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. I'm saying, are you more like Jesus today than you were last year? Are you more like Jesus today than you were five years ago? 
Let's zoom out. Let's see the big picture. Because if you're not becoming like Jesus, you've got to begin to ask yourself the question, am I actually his disciple? I want to give you three areas of our lives real quick that every disciple of Jesus grows in. Like, because sometimes we talk about growth. I'm like, what does that mean? I want to give you three areas that every disciple of Jesus grows in. You should be growing in all three of these. Number one, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you will grow in your knowledge of the things of God. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you will be growing in your knowledge of the things of God. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, right? Like, we need to be rightly handling the Bible, learning and growing from the Bible. As followers of Jesus, our source of truth is this book. It is our source for truth. It is a source for direction. Our source for how we are to know who Jesus is and what we're supposed to be looking like. The Bible should be a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path, right? It should be our strength every day where we're going back to this well of, 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 of truth, this well of encouragement daily, again and again and again, replenishing our life by soaking in this book. We cannot grow in our walk as disciples if we are not reading the Bible. And not just reading it, but studying it, meditating on it. It is imperative, it is a must, that to grow as a disciple, you've got to be in this book. But too often, we are like the people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5 verse 11 says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Sorry, so he's just like made this point, and he says, and about this thing that I've just said, it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the words of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and from evil. You see, there was an expectation that these people in this church should have reached maturity by this point. They should not just be people who know the truth, but people who can teach the truth. But for whatever reason, they had it. They'd grown stagnant. They weren't growing. They weren't learning. They hadn't become teachers. They had shrunken back. We do not grow in our knowledge of Jesus through osmosis, right? Like we don't just like live life and all of a sudden, ooh, oh yeah, no more, right? We don't stumble upon knowing more about God. It takes dedication, it takes time, it takes study, it takes work. But it is a work that you are called to do. I was asked last Wednesday after I made a statement of what I, be, what I believed about something. So I was teaching a class and I said something. And someone asked me this great question. They said, Brent, if, if you believe that, but another pastor told me they believe the opposite of that, which one of you am I supposed to believe? I said, me. No, I said, yeah, if I believe this and they believe that, how are you going to know which one of us is correct? I think you're going to have to read the book for yourself. Right? You're going to have to read the book for yourself. Because I think I'm right about this, and they clearly think they're right about this. But which one of us have our, has our case from this book? And if we both have our case made from this book, well, you're going to have to read the book and figure it out. Figure out which one of us you think is right, or maybe both wrong. If you have placed your trust and what you believe 
on a single person, no matter how awesome or great they might be. If you've based it all on one single person, you've become a slave to that person. So dependent upon them to keep you from error and to keep you in the truth. You're not free. You've got to go to the source yourself and know it yourself so that you know if I'm teaching you the truth and what the truth is. We have to grow in our knowledge of God. Like the disciples followed Jesus for three years. Just like, I mean, they didn't have pencil and paper, but if they did, right, they're just taking down notes. Right? They're just learning, soaking up everything that he teaches, soaking up everything that he says. Questioning it, challenging it, wrestling with it. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go follow this dude around and drop all of your life. Like you can continue work and life and everything and just wake up a little bit earlier and read a little bit about what they'd said. But we have to do that. We have to grow in our knowledge of God to be disciples of Jesus. We can't become like Jesus unless we know who he is. And sometimes we think we know who he is, but the Jesus of the Bible is very different than our cultural or imagined perceptions of him. Two, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you will grow in your love. Not only will you grow in your knowledge, you'll grow in your love. 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. If he says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Guys, when you know the love of Jesus that is so radical that we don't have a, almost don't have a category for understanding the love of Jesus it's so big, it's so sacrificial, it drives him to this bloody cross. When you understand that kind of love that God has for you despite your sin, it changes you to love people. It changes you that you, you've been loved, now you can love. Even hard people, right? Even people we call EGRs, extra grace required. Right? Even when they're real hard to love, you know how hard it must have been for God to love you because Jesus had to die. And then you can go die to yourself to love other people. On the one hand, we should love our brothers and sisters Christ pretty easily, right? Like, because, like, man, we're family. Like, we're going we're gonna to spend eternity together. We're family. We're in the same boat. Like, we all know that we're sinners redeemed by grace. It's a... And so it should be the kindness and patience and love and affection and encouragement it should be easy for us to pour out to one another. It should be clearly seen. But we should also love the world. We should also love broken, sinful, faithless people. Because if we're going to be like Jesus, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus was always going around and hanging out in brothels. Hanging out in pubs. They didn't have pubs, but you know. They were hanging out in the bars. He was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. And when people saw Jesus, they were like, well, this dude can't be legit. Because look at who he's hanging out with. Look who he's eating with. We would never be associated or seen with those types of people. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus loved sinners. But he, what, what's his name? He is the friend of sinners he cares for sinners and if he did how much more should we how much more should we love the world that is lost and hurting and yearning for something 
that's broken. It's easy to love each other. Sometimes we're really bad at loving each other. But it should be easy to love each other, but we've also got to love the world. We may not understand someone's lifestyle. We may not understand someone's decisions that they make. And we might disagree with their lifestyle, disagree with their decision. We may not understand the reasoning people have to live like they do, but we can love them in spite of their actions and their choices and their beliefs. Just as Jesus has loved us, despite our actions and choices and beliefs. Having a heart and a love and a compassion and a patience for lost people of all kinds is what disciples of Jesus look like. When we become more concerned about whatever's going on in here and less concerned about lost people knowing love, though the love of Jesus, we've, we're failing as disciples of Jesus. We should grow in our knowledge. We should change and grow in our knowledge. And we should change and grow in our love. And finally, we should grow and change in our actions. If you're a disciple of Jesus, your actions and priorities will be radically changed. If you are a disciple of Jesus, your actions and priorities will be radically changed. You know, when you are living as if the world is all there is, things look one way. If you're living like, man, this is all there is, right? Like there's nothing after this, like there's no God, then life looks one way, right? It looks like accumulating wealth. It looks like accumulating status and prestige. It looks like battling for promotions and bigger houses and newer toys and nicer cars. It looks like living for the moment and whatever's going to make you happy, go get it. But when Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. Your priorities, your direction, and everything about your life changes. Your priorities and how you act and how you treat people completely changes. All of a sudden, now you're taking time off work not to go to the Bahamas and put your feet up. You're taking time off work to go to kids camp, to be sneezed on and to deal with fourth graders and to deal with their all the four, you know, fourth grade problems and to, to love them and to show them Jesus. All of a sudden, you're taking time off work to go fix somebody's roof who doesn't love Jesus. All of a sudden, you're taking time off work not to go put your feet up at the beach, but to go across the ocean to some country of some people who don't know Jesus and to love on them, to serve them, to care for them, to dig a well, to do something to give them Jesus. And you sacrifice your time and your vacation time to love them. That's a different priority. That's a changed priority. And Jesus does that. We become less concerned, concerned about ourselves and our own comfort and our own enjoyment. And all of a sudden, we're spending less money on us and more money and on other people. Where it's all of a sudden, we're spending less money on that new car. And we're going to drive a, a beater car so that we can invest more in the mission of God. I was so blown away a few weeks ago at our 50th anniversary when Ron got up here and he was talking, not Pastor Ron, Ron Penix was talking about how when the church built this building, do you know how they did it? They said, God's got two jobs. All of these men in the church went and worked a second job so they could build a church. They sacrificed time and they sacrificed their own wealth so they could build a church for the advancement of the gospel to go out. That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus radically changes our lives and our priorities. People would work two jobs so they could build a church so that people could come and learn about Jesus, grow in Jesus, and be transformed by Jesus. That's what it means and looks like to be a disciple. Your life goes from living 
for yourself to living for other people. It looks like you go from living for yourself to dying to yourself. That's a great definition of what discipleship looks like. That you go from living for yourself to dying to yourself. And like Jesus, we take up our crosses and give our lives to the work of ministry, to the work of the kingdom. Y'all know, like, every one of you's ministers of the gospel, right? Like, y'all know that's not just something that a few of us get paid to do. That's your job, to be ministers of the gospel. When Jesus comes into our life, we change. We become forgiving people. We become people who love and forgive our enemies. We can grow in patience and kindness. We let insults go. We extend grace and mercy that's undeserved. Our mission statement encapsulates this idea when it says making Jesus essential in the hearts, lives, and homes of everyone within our reach, the gospel proclaimed, understood, and practiced. Like that encapsulates this idea that my priority would be to take off work and go and build a wheelchair ramp for a senior citizen who can no longer get up her steps because I need to die to myself and live for Jesus, and that means serve other people. The gospel is lived out in your everyday life. When you follow Jesus, when you become a disciple, you are changed. You change the way you view your spouse and you treat your spouse. You change from how you start serving and living for your spouse. You start prioritizing time with your kids, not just for fun, but for disciple making. To make sure they know Jesus too. When you become a disciple, everything changes from your head to your heart to your hands. And if you're being a disciple of Jesus stops, you've failed. If you're being a follower of a disciple of Jesus stops and you stop growing, you stop changing, you failed. Jesus didn't call you to just be a disciple. And so if you stop at learning, stop at loving, stop at growing, you failed. It's not just about us getting better. See, Jesus didn't call you just to be a disciple. He called you to make disciples. And see, being a disciple at its core isn't primarily even about our growth. It's about transferring our growth to other people. It's about reproducing. It's about making more disciples. The fundamental call of a disciple of Jesus is to make more. When Jesus called the disciples, he didn't say, follow me. He said, follow me and... I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I'll take you from just catching fish to catching the hearts and lives of men. That's the calling he's called them to. What command did Jesus give his disciples right before Jesus ascended into heaven? But go and make converts. Did he say, go, make converts of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I command you. Is that what he said? Go and make disciples of all nations. Not converts, disciples of all nations. So we don't just invite them to church. We don't just say, hey, go talk to my pastor. He has all the answers. I might, but I'm just kidding. We don't just say, invite you to church. We don't just say, go talk to my pastor. No, we come to church on Sunday morning to recharge, to be encouraged, and to be challenged. So that when we leave, we are dismissed to scatter 
to the four winds, to scatter to workplaces, to scatter to homes, to scatter to schools, so that the light of the gospel would shine brightly in your hearts and on your tongue where you go. Y'all know where I can't go? I can't go into a meeting room at GE. I can't go. I'm not, I don't work for GE. And if I walk in there, they're going to say, security. But some of you can. Some of you can. You know where I can't go? I can't go remodel the kitchen of some stranger. But some of y'all do. You know where I can't go? I can't go sit at the soccer game where my kid's not playing. Because that would be weird and creepy. But y'all can. And you are called to go to those places and to make disciples. The great tragedy of the Church of America is we are halfway decent at winning converts. Like we're halfway decent at winning converts, baptizing people, but we're terrible at making disciples. You see, we think that conversion and baptism are the touchdown. When, I mean, we celebrate baptism and we should, but we think baptism, yes, touchdown. And we miss the point because the baptism is the kickoff. Everything else was pregame. Everything leading up to that baptism and to them coming to faith was pregame. Once they're baptized, the work begins. But the problem is, we baptize them, say, touchdown, good luck, on to the next one. And we leave them high and dry as infants in Christ, unable to feed themselves, unable to nurture themselves, completely dependent, and no one to depend on. And so what happens? But we, they grow up. And they're 30 and 40 and 50 years old, and they're still babes in Christ. When they should be eating filet mignon, they're still on milk. Drinking milk. It's a tragedy that we failed people, and that is our calling. Rob, who preached for us last week, I think made an incredible point about how we leave the discipleship of our children to the experts. We drop them off at church, and we let the seminary trained people handle teaching them about Jesus. And we don't just think that about our children. We also think that about our friends. And we think that about the people that we lead to the Lord. If you lead someone to Jesus... Or you connect with some younger Christian, some infant in Christ, or some child in Christ. It is not my job as the pastor to disciple them. My job is to train you to disciple them and call you to disciple them. That's what the book of Ephesians tells us. My job is to equip you and train you to do the work of the ministry. It is your job to disciple them. It is your job to disciple them. And some, that concept might be foreign to you, and I understand, because we have so commercialized the church. Like, we've commercialized the church so much that we default to thinking that spiritual growth only happens at church, when in reality, the biggest steps that I ever took in my faith, the biggest steps I ever took in growing to Jesus happened on, in someone's living room on a couch. The biggest steps happened in a coffee shop at a, in a chair. When you fail to disciple people because you think you're not equipped to pour your life into them, to pour what you've learned into them, you rob yourself of the joy that God wants to give you by fulfilling this calling, and you rob others. 
You rob others of the incredible growth and wisdom and discipleship that they could experience through your wisdom and your experience and your learning. We're called to be disciples of Jesus. And that means that everything about us is going to change and we're going to become like our master. We're going to become like Jesus. But it also means that like Jesus, we invest in others and help them on their journey to become like Jesus too. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here if that's our job and our calling? Three quick things. Number one is that you have to acknowledge that there is a battle over your discipleship. You have to acknowledge there is a battle over your discipleship. Guys, you're not going to take your discipleship seriously until you realize that when you're not becoming like Jesus, you are becoming like the world. When you're not becoming like Jesus, you are becoming like the world. It is not as if your downtime or in uh, seasons where you're not being discipled, that you just stay where you are. It's not like you grow, okay, I'm going to take a time out and go on vacation, I'll just stay here and then I'll keep growing from there. That's not how it works. You regress. The New Testament tells us not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And if we are not renewing our minds on the things above, growing in our walk, it is because we are being conformed, not into the image of Christ, but into the image of something else. If we're not becoming disciples of Jesus, we're becoming disciples of something else. For some of us, it's the news we watch, right? Like for some of us, it's like whether it's Fox News or CNN or CMSNBC or it's the, you know, whatever end of the spectrum you're on, you, you watch that and that is discipling you. For some of you, it's Rachel Maldow. For others, it's Ben Shapiro. And those things are discipling you. Those news outlets, those political agendas are discipling you. Those news anchors are discipling you. And if you are not on your guard, that doesn't mean don't listen to them, but that means be on your guard. That means test every thought, take every thought captive by Jesus. Or you will slowly become looking less like Jesus and more like Fox News, less like Jesus and more like CNN. You will become less like Jesus and more like whatever partisan politic you prefer. For many of you, it's not politics or the news. For some of you, it's TikTok. For some of you, it's Instagram Reels. For some of you, it's Facebook. And you are slowly being conformed into whatever worldly ideology that you are mindlessly scrolling through, mindlessly taking in, mindlessly listening to without taking those thoughts captive. And you're scrolling while you're wasting time taking in this content is all the while molding you into its own image and you are unaware. For example, ask yourself this. How is it that the divorce rates are sky high in the church. Not just in the world, but in the church. How is it that it's become normal for Christians to cohabitate together before they're married? How is it that Christian teens, Ryan shared this stat this week and it was fascinating. How is it that Christian teens, teenagers who identify as Christians, are more likely to have premarital sex than their atheist counterparts. How is it that our youth are becoming increasingly, and the world is becoming increasingly same-sex affirming? Well, there are many reasons, and those are many complicated reasons that are contributing to this. But one of them is the unchecked sexual, sexual revolution in media that we consume. 
Now, we're all getting mad right now about our shows and our movies that have same-sex couples in it. Right? We're mad about that. But why were we not mad 15 and 30 years ago when our movies had couples living together before they were married? Why were we not mad 15 and 30 years ago when our movies and our chick flicks were celebrating hookup culture? Why were we not mad 15 and 30 years ago when we were in our hearts rooting for the affair because she needs to leave that scumbag because he is trashy and this younger guy, he values her. And we in our hearts are cheering and rooting, leave him. Divorce him and get with him. Have the affair. We're rooting in our hearts. We wonder why the sexual revolution has taken a hold of our country. We are to blame. Because we're mad now, but we celebrated it then. We consumed content, which is fine. Like, I'm not saying don't watch these things. Like, watch a lot of TV, enjoy it. But we did it without thinking. We did it and just received it. And we didn't watch it with a critical eye. We didn't take every thought captive by Christ. You can't in your heart root for the affair and not think that's not going to affect you and change you. You cannot in your heart watch and consume something that is not morally neutral, that is morally bad. You cannot watch things and celebrate hookup culture and not think that is not going to affect you and your children. We will not win the battle or even begin to fight the battle of our discipleship until we realize that the world is fighting you. We, we're not going to win or fight until we realize that the principalities and powers of darkness are fighting to conform you into the image of the world. And they're hoping that you don't realize you need to fight back. They are hoping you don't realize that you've got to do something to become conformed to the image of Jesus. You have to behold Jesus just as much, if not more, than behold the world. You have to take in Jesus, spend time with Jesus, if you're going to become like him. You can't take in 10, 15, 20 hours a week of content, news, media, whatever it is of a secular worldview and think that that's going to and, and to think that you're still going to grow in Christ likeness if you're not spending any time with Jesus. You can't come to 1 hour of church a week and think that's enough. So one of the things we need number 2 one of the things we need is we got to form discipling relationships. Guys, I want to tell you three relationships I think every one of you in this room need. Every one of you in this room need one of the, need all three of these relationships. Number 1, you need a Paul you need an older person in your life. And by older, I don't mean necessarily technically an age older. I mean that they are older in, in Jesus. They are more mature in Jesus. They are wiser in Jesus. Right? They've been following him. And you need that person, this mature follower of Jesus, to regularly be engaging with you, challenging you, even giving them permission to rebuke you and call you to repentance. Right? You need to have someone in your life who has the permission to come to you and say, Brent, what you are doing is wrong. Go fix it. Stop it and go this way. You need to give someone permission in your life to know you well enough to know those things and call you out on them. You need someone in your life who's going to teach you the things you need to know. Maybe that's how you read your Bible, how you study your Bible. Maybe it's how you share your faith. I don't know what it is, but you need those people in your life to teach you how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to be a better parent. 
You need a Paul in your life, a spiritual mentor who you can submit to and trust. Second, you need a Barnabas. Barnabas was Paul's buddy that they did missions, mission trips together. You need someone who's your, you can link arms with, who's on your level, your counterpart, your buddy, who you can struggle with, wrestle with, work, read books with. You need a spiritual friend who can be in the trenches with you, grow with you, walk with you, similar struggles, similar stage of life. You need that. But you also need a Timothy. Paul led Timothy to the Lord and discipled him and made him into a leader. You need someone that you are investing in and pouring into. You need someone that you can teach what you've learned and what you know about Jesus. You need someone that you are making into a disciple, someone who looks up to you. You are commanded to make disciples. It's not an option, church. It's not for the really spiritually uh, gifted. It is for every one of you. We are to make disciples. You need to find a Timothy who you can invest in. Because our older members in the church hear me. You may not understand young people and what they're into and their TikToks and their weird slang and whatever they're into. But they need you. They need you to invest in them. They need you to listen. And they need you to teach them. Younger people in the faith, you need that. And y'all, oh, whatever level you're at, you got to find somebody who's under your level and invest in them. Pour into them. Teach them. And when you don't know something, you got to go to your Paul and learn it so that you can then pass it on. you got to have all three of these relationships for your own good, for your own joy, and for your own growth. Finally, we have to partner with your church in making disciples. Because one of the ways we can make disciples is by using the avenues that we've created in our church or whatever church you're at at whatever point has created to make disciples. While it is important for you to have discipling relationships on your own time, it is also super important for you to be a part of what our church is doing in making disciples. We as a church have a stewardship over our kids. God has placed every youth and every kid in this church and we have a stewardship over them. And if you think it's somebody else's job to go and disciple them, you've missed the boat. You don't ever graduate. Now, I'm not saying everybody's go serve in kids or youth ministry, right? Some of you are busy serving in other places. But if you're not doing anything or if you've got extra time, and you think, oh, somebody else can handle that? Or, oh, their parents can handle that? Their parents are doing that at home. It's our church's job. We, none of us get a pass. It's our church's job to invest in the next generation, who isn't the future of the church, who is the church right now. And if we want the future of the church to be bright, guys, we have got to take it seriously. And not pass the buck off and say, man, our time, I did my time. Don't ever come to me and tell me you did your time in kids' ministry because I will rebuke you right then and there. Some of you have put in a lot of time. You know what, what's one of the most encouraging things to me? I've heard this a couple of times. Teachers in our kids' ministry telling the kids in there, you know, I had your mommy when she was your age. I had your daddy when, she, when he was your age. That's a long time. That's a, 
that's a lot of goldfish. <laughs> but we want a strong foundation for the future. That's the battleground. That's the war. We need to put a sign up over there, Darcy, said, war, battleground, something. Because if we think this is just daycare or child care, we've missed the boat. We think being over there in the youth ministry is just fun and games, we've missed the boat. And if we think that Sunday school class, D groups, and all these other things that we do are just what you do, we've missed the boat. It is our stewardship to make sure every person in this room and a part of this church becomes fully mature followers of Jesus. It is our task that when we stand before Jesus, me first and all of you second, that when we stand before Jesus, that we were able to say we presented everyone under our charge mature in Christ. That's what we got to do. We got to stop leaving people coming out of the baptism and being infants and not helping them. We can't, we can't stop doing Guys, I didn't ask permission to do this, so I'm not going to mention the guy's name. But one of my dear friends was in this church for years. And finally, uh, we got, I got him connected to a Sunday school class. And the Sunday school teacher said, hey, turn to James chapter 3. And he looked over at his wife and he said, hey, what page is that? No one taught him there were books and that there were chapters and there were verses. We failed him. That can't happen. That can't happen. We failed him. Guys, this is our stewardship. And every one of us are ministers who are disciples who make disciples. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. And he's a great quarterback because he spends hours upon hours honing his craft. Studying, watching film, preparing, investing. And if we want to be fully mature followers of Jesus, if we want to be disciples who make disciples, we got to put in the work. We have to put in the work. We have to take it seriously and commit to doing whatever it takes to grow, to become more like Jesus, and to help others do the same. We have to help other people make Jesus essential in all of their life. Or it's not going to happen. Discipleship is our number one priority. It's the kickoff. So let the game begin. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for our church. We're thankful, God, that, that there are so many faithfully laboring, have been laboring for years, serving, investing in their life and other people. But God, your word says... That the fields are ripe for harvest, but the laborers are few. And that is true today. The fields are ripe for harvest. There are plenty of people. There are kids and there are youth and there are young adults and there are adults and there are grown men and grown women who are ready to be invested in, ready to be discipled. But the laborers are few. The people are few. God, would you raise up laborers? Would you raise up disciple makers? Would you raise up people who take it seriously to say, I'm going to invest in that mom 
over there. I'm going to invest in that dad over there. I'm going to invest in those youth. I'm going to invest in those kids. I'm going to invest in my Sunday school class, and I'm going to take seriously every member in it, and I'm going to make sure that they're cared for, loved, and that they're following Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to, God, would you raise up people who say, I'm going to commit to making sure I find someone who can be a Paul in my life, a spiritual mentor in my life. Would you help us to commit to have Timothy's in our life, people we're investing in? And would you give us Barnabas's? Would you give us people who are with us and struggling with us and where we are so that we can do this together? God, would you help us present every member of our church mature in Christ? And if you're here this morning and and you can't be mature in Christ because you're not even in Christ. You can't be a disciple because you've not even started. You've not, st- you've not accepted the call to follow him and become a fisher of men. You've not accepted the call to follow him and learn everything that he taught, everything they did, everything that he, who he is. As we sing this song, I'll stand over here. Come up and let me show you how you can follow him for free, but yet it will cost you everything. Can I show you this morning how you can become Jesus' child for free? All expenses paid, and yet it will cost you your whole life, and you'll never be the same. The disciples were asked, follow me. And they thought they were going to learn some philosophy and some theology and some things like that, but you changed their world. God, would you change ours today? If you don't know Jesus, come and meet him this morning. And if you do know Jesus and you want to be discipled and you need help, come. Let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let me walk with you through that. But that's our calling. God, help us to take it seriously. In Christ's name we pray all people soon. Let's stand together.